It's good to see you guys this morning. It's good to be here. I believe God has something specific he wants to say to each and every one of you. And uh, I want to say, if you have a Bible, if you have your phone, uh, get it out. We've got some notes on the, the app that I would encourage you guys to take. Uh, if you have an actual Bible, um, you are one of a kind. You are special. <laughs> if you have a notepad, uh, I would encourage you, this sermon is going to be entitled, Who Are You Becoming? That's going to be the name of the title this morning. Who are you becoming? You and I, we live in a world today where we are constantly doing. We're constantly doing something. I remember as a kid, I was asked that question. You were all were asked that question at such a young age. One day, what do you want to do when you grow up, right? What do you want to do? And so we get these advice from the different people around us of what we should be doing. And we begin to constantly do. Our friends begin to tell us what they think we should do with our life, right? Our parents begin to tell us what they think we should do with our lives. We go to church, right? Pastor, just tell me what to do. We go online and YouTube. The health coach is telling us 10 things we need to do. There's always these things that we need to do. And so it's, it's no fault of our own, but we're raised in a culture and in a society of doing. We're constantly doing. We wake up and from sun up to sundown, we are constantly doing, right? We don't stop doing. We as Americans have become great doers. We're constantly doing, doing, doing. But there's a truth today that I believe God wants to share with each and every one of us, and it's this. This is the climax. This is the zenith of my message. This is it right here, all right? That God is concerned less about what you're doing and more about who you're becoming. God is concerned less about what you're doing and more about who you are becoming. Who are you becoming? We live in this world today, again, when we're constantly doing parents, you get a child, right? And you get this creature, and you're like, I got to do something to raise it. We get these jobs, and we have to provide, right? We got to do what we got to do. We got to make it. We got to provide. We get married. People get married. You got to do what you got to do to make it work. And so there's no fault. It's the culture. It's the society that we live in, but we begin to constantly do, do, do. But the truth is, is that God is concerned less about what you're doing, and more about who you are becoming. And the beauty to this is today I believe God wants to shift our attention, our focus on what we should be doing, and how we can get to our dreams and, the, and the, the things we need to do to get there. He wants to shift our focus from what we need to do to shift him on who do you want me to become? Because when we can become who God has created us to become, we will inevitably begin to do what God has created us to do. Who are you becoming? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity. God, I pray that your truth would be spoken. Lord, thank you that you care for each and every one of us here, that you care about who we are becoming. I pray that your truth is spoken. Lord, that you would get me out of the way and that you would be magnified and glorified in this place today. Thank you for this church, for this family. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, again, I want to encourage you guys to take notes today. It's a fact. 99% of people who take notes go to heaven, all right? <clears throat>
I'm just kidding. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> All right, if you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 3, uh, 7 through 10. It's going to be on the screen. It's in the phone. It's in the app. But we're going to talk today about the story of the Israelites. The Israelites, they're God's chosen people. And we're going to pick them up. They're in Egypt right now, and they've been oppressed for years. They've been in slavery with the Egyptians. And uh, we're going to read this scripture together. It says, The Lord said, this is Exodus 3. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of all the ites. I'm not even going to try to pronounce them. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The scripture is talking about how God sees his people. He said they are my people. They are his children. God can concerned. He says, I see my people and how they are oppressed and how they've been living in slavery. God says, I see my people and I care so much about them that I want to take them from where they are and I want to lead them somewhere. And I believe God wasn't so concerned to get them into this perfect promised land so that they can begin to do what they always dreamed of doing. No, God wanted to bring them somewhere because he was concerned about who they were becoming. They were becoming people who didn't know their freedom. They were becoming people who believed that they were slaves. They were becoming people that began to believe lies in their lives. And they become people that were missing that God was their father and that he cared about them. And I believe that's the same truth for you and I. That God wants to lead you somewhere. He has a plan for your life. And we can begin to do, 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 and hope that one day we get there. But the truth is, God is concerned about who we're becoming. Some of you here say, who, if I look in the mirror, I see who I've become. I've been so focused on doing my whole life that I get so caught up and and I look in the mirror and I see who I am. And I'm not so proud of who I am, but God, I believe today, wants to bring each and every one of us somewhere. He's concerned about you. Some of you here feel enslaved. Some of you feel oppressed just like the Israelites. But God says, I see you and I'm concerned about you. And so the point one today of this message is this, when you're less concerned about what you're doing and more concerned about who you're becoming, God shifts your positioning. Positioning. Say positioning with me. Positioning. God shifts your positioning. Hang with me here. This will make sense. There's two types of light in this world. I'm not a science major. I don't know everything about it, but I'm intrigued. I, I enjoy learning about these things. There's two types of light in the world. The first type of light is a primary source or an luminous object. Okay, a luminous object is something that gives off light. Example we have in our world today is this, the sun, right? You see the sun. It's something that gives off light. We see it each and every day. It's a luminous object. Second type of light we have in our world is a secondary source, okay, and this is known as an illuminous object. This is something that doesn't give off light, but it's something that reflects light, okay, 
And an object that we have in our world today that represents that is the moon. I love the supermoon. It's so cool to see. Uh, I remember a couple of months ago out of the Dunedin Causeway and seeing the huge moon come up over the surface and seeing. You guys have seen a supermoon before. It's amazing, right? And what's so cool about this supermoon or the moon in general is it's all about its positioning. It doesn't give off light. It doesn't give off light. But what it does is when it gets in the right position, what does it do? It shines. And I believe as we get more and more shift our focus from what we should be doing and more about who we're becoming, we begin to shift our position, we begin to position ourselves. The invitation is to position ourselves near Jesus, near him every day. That's why we're here this morning. We begin to position ourselves close to him. We begin to open his word, we begin to draw near, we get in these small groups, we get in these environments, we start to position ourselves and we can't help but shine. We've all seen the moon at different phases, right? But when it gets in that right position, it shines. And it shines brightest in the darkest of night. Just like the moon reflects the S-U-N when we position ourselves with the S-O-N, the sun We begin to shine. We can't help but be the light of the world. The invitation is, is God wants to position ourselves. See, we all have goals. We all have dreams. We all want to get somewhere. We want to lead ourselves out of slavery. We all want to do these things, but we got to stop trying to get to where we want to go and begin to position ourselves before Jesus each and every day. And we can't help but go where he leads us. We can't help but become who he's created us to be. Begin to position ourselves. Who are you becoming? Position ourselves. Point one. We got it? All right. Next one. When you're less concerned about what you're doing and more concerned about who you're becoming, God shifts your restrictions. We're going to continue uh, in the story here. We're going to jump forward a couple passages to Exodus 13. And we're going to continue on. So the Israelites, uh, God came to Moses. He said, you're going to lead my people. I see I'm concerned. I want to bring them to a promised land. And so what we see here, we're going to pick up, it's some chapters later, that they are now out of Egypt. Uh, you know, all the ten different plagues, all the different things they went through. God led them out of the Red Sea. And now they are in their way. They were on the journey to the promised land. Exodus 13, 21 through 22 says, By the day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. We're going to continue on Exodus 16 here. Let me give you a scripture reference. Exodus 16, 1. It says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into the desert to starve this assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that to be as twice as much as they gather on the other days. 
So we pick up in this story here, and God has taken the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're on journey, they're en route to the promised land. But they begin to get uncomfortable. They begin to grumble, complain. They're, they, they're the pots of meat, they're saying, that we get to, used to sit around the comfort of that. We used to be around each and every day. God had taken that away from them. And they begin to grumble and complain because they were hungry. God had brought them to the desert. The desert is a, it's a dry place, right? There's not a lot going on, not a lot of happening in the desert. And so these begin people grumble and complain because God took something comfortable because, why? Wow, he wanted to show them that he was their comforter. He began to put a restriction on in their life. So I was 23 years of age, and uh, I was living in West Palm Beach, Florida. I just graduated college. I was playing music. I loved playing, pursuing the music dream, and um, I had a couple weeks off, and a friend came up to me, and he said, Ethan, uh, I met this guy down at the docks, by West Palm, and he said he was looking for a crew for a sailing trip. Uh, he needs to transport his boat. He lives in West Palm uh, during the winter time, and then he takes his sailboat up to Nantucket during the summers. He's a smart guy, right? He goes to the cool places in the, in the, in the summer and down to Florida in the winter. He said he needed help, and, he, and, and my friend said, uh, I know, you know, a crew, like I, me and my friend, like we sail, we, we, we got this, you know. So he talks this guy into us, hiring us to be his crew, all right. Bad idea. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I want to, he talked, he's like, listen, he's going he's gonna to pay us a little bit. It's not much at all, but he was going to pay us, where he's going to pay for our food. And I was going to get to travel up the whole East Coast and get to Nantucket, which I had been there before. I'd play there once. And, um, and we were going to book a show there. It was, it was like the dream trip, right? And so he's like, he wants to meet us first and, you know, make sure we're, we're legit. And so we know what we're talking about. So we show up to his boat, and he starts asking. I'm like, yeah, I know what a sail, you know, the mast, the boom, the jib, the main, tacking, jive. Yeah, I got it, right? And so he's like, all right. You're hired, you know, and so he hires us, and we take off, and it's, it's an 11-day trip from West Palm to Nantucket, like, with good wind, and uh, I don't know, I've never, ever, ever sailed in the open ocean for any long distance before, you know, I've putted around in the intercoastal or whatnot, and so we started, we took off on this trip, and the first leg was from West Palm Beach to Charleston, South Carolina. We were going to West Palm to Charleston. And then you go through the intercoastal through North Carolina. You come out of Norfolk, and then you keep going up. And so I'm like, this is going to be great. You know, West Palm to Charleston, by car, it's like eight hours. It's not going to take us that long. Well, that's when you're going 70 miles per hour. (laughs) In a sailboat, you travel on average five to six knots, which is slow. (laughs) Super slow, all right? And so we're on our way. We leave West Palm. It's 60 hours by boat to get from West Palm Beach to Charleston, South Carolina. So what you do, which I've never done this before, you have shifts, right? So, and there was like hardly any wind. It was, it was amazing, to be honest. But we were motor sailing, and, which means you're motoring and you're, you have the sails up. And we're on our way up the East Coast. I had the 
p.m. to midnight shift. My buddy had the 12 to 2. The captain had the 2 to 4. And then I had the 4 to 6. So you had two-hour shifts at night. And then during the day, you switched to four-hour shifts. What do you do for four? What do you do for 60 hours on a sailboat, right? There's only so much you can do. And so me and my buddy, as guys, we often do, we strike up a couple bets, some competitions, right? And do you guys know what planking is when you get down on the exercise? So we start a planking contest to see who could plank the longest, all right? So me and him were like battling out, and I'm not going to give up, and he's not going to give up. I definitely won. It's not the point of the story. Then we go into a push-up contest. He starts doing push-ups. He cranks out these push-ups, and then it's my turn, all right? So I get up. I know the number of how many I need to beat, and so I start cranking out the push-ups. And all of a sudden, we, the boat like hits a wave, and I'm going up, and my, I feel my arm pop. I'm like, what was that? And I stop, and my buddy's like, ah, oh, give me an excuse. Like, what's, like, don't make any excuses here. Just let me know that you can't do as many as I could do. And I'm like, no, honestly, something, I don't know what it was. Like, it wasn't painful, but I, I heard something pop. And uh, a couple weeks goes by. I was icing it. My elbow gets swollen. Uh, a month goes by. It's still swollen. And I'm just like, it'll be fine, you know. And eventually, like a month and a half later, I'm back in West Palm. Uh, and I go to a chiropractor there, and I get done. And I'm like, oh, also, I was like, I, something might be wrong with my arm. It's still swollen. And um, he does an x-ray on my arm. And he said, you know, there's no broken bones. Like, I'm going to need to send you to, like, a specialist to see. And I need to do a CAT scan. So I go to specialist. They do a CAT scan. And this doctor tells me, Ethan, uh, you have a partial torn tricep tendon. I had partially torn the tricep tendon right here, the, 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 muscle, the tendon that connects your tricep to your elbow. I was like, I knew something happened. He was like, so what do I need to do? He's like, we need to do surgery. We need to reconnect the tricep through the tendon to your elbow. And I'm um, like, all right, well, I'm a musician. Like, I need my arm, you know. And he's like, how long is this going to take? He's like, oh, it's not going to be. I do this all the time. It's very common. And so he says, we're going to do surgery. We're going to put you in a cast for three months. And then you'll start physical therapy. And so I get in a cast. We do the surgery. My arm's locked in place like this, right, for three entire months. It was terrible. It was restricted, right? It was restricted, and that restriction allowed for healing. With that restriction, me putting my arm in the cast, the cast didn't heal me, but the cast restricted my arm so that my arm could begin to heal. And I believe the beauty of that story of what God taught me through that is sometimes in our lives we need to restrict ourselves from certain things for a period of time in order to God to heal what he needs to heal inside of us. See, I could have kept on going. I could have kept on living life in my arm. It would have been fine. It would have operated at a, you know, 80%. I would have never had the full strength and full capacity but because I had the surgery and my arm was restricted, it was restored to full health. It was, a, it was restored to operate to its fullest potential. And I see, believe today that you and I, we can just keep going, right? You can keep going and you can live life to 70 to 80% of your potential. 
But there are areas, there are things that are prohibiting you from experiencing the fullness of God. We sing that song, I love fullness. You guys know the Father, I just want to know you. Jesus, I want to know you. Spirit, I want to know you. John 14, 26 says, Jesus said, I, had to, I must leave because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's known as the comforter. The issue that you and I have is we never want to get uncomfortable. But Jesus, what he's saying is, I want to send the comforter to meet you. How can you ever experience the comforter if we're never getting uncomfortable? Sometimes we have to put restrictions on from the things in your life, you know what they are, that are withholding you from experiencing the fullness of who God is. We have to put restrictions on, we have to put the cast on in some areas of our life. See, God, he took the Israelites out of their normal lifestyles. He took them out of what they knew and what they enjoyed in the comfort of sitting around pots of meat because he wanted to show them who the true comforter was, who the God was who could meet their each and every needs. You guys with me right now? Sometimes you have to put restrictions on some areas of your life in order for God. You can't heal yourself. But what we can do is put the cast on and we can position ourselves near Jesus and we can watch him continue and begin to transform our lives. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? When you're less concerned about what you're doing and more about who you're becoming, God shifts your perspective. Say perspective with me. Perspective. Deuteronomy 1, 1 through 3. I want to pick up there. We're going to read this on the screen or in your Bible together. It says, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. That is in the Arabah opposite stuff between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazareth, and Dizahab. Parentheses. Don't miss the parentheses here. All right? this, is, this is crazy. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. 11 days. You got that? Yep. Now we pick up in verse 3. In the 40th year... On the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. It is now 40 years into this journey. It was only supposed to take them 11 days. That's all it took. 11 days to get to the promised land. And they're 40 years, 11 months into it. They're in the month of November by our calendar, right? It's almost December. It's almost the new year. They're almost 41 years into this journey, and they still haven't gotten there yet. Blows my mind. What would have happened if the Israelites had got to the promised land in 11 days? What would have happened? Let me ask you a question. Is it possible for the thing that you want most in life, the thing that you want most in your life could be the very thing that could hold you back from becoming who God has created you to become? Let me ask you that again. Is it possible for the thing that you want most in life, the thing that you dream of most, that could be the very thing that could be holding you back from becoming who God has created you to become? See, God is less concerned about what you're doing and more about who you are 
becoming. See, the Israelites, it was only supposed to take them 11 days, but it took them 40 years because God wasn't concerned about them just getting there. He was concerned about who they were becoming. Who are you becoming? About a month ago, I was in West Palm. I told you guys I lived there for a season of my life. And a couple years ago, I met a woman, older woman. Um, it's the difference between West Palm and Palm Beach. I don't know if you guys know that. Palm Beach, right, it's the exclusive. It's, it's the mansions. It's the palm trees. It's the hedges like you've never seen. It's the estate homes. These people, it's crazy. I got to meet this woman who lived on Palm Beach Island, and I met her at an event. We connected. She was sharing her faith with me, and it was just a really cool God interaction. It was really neat. And so uh, she told me while we were about a month ago, and we, I saw her again. She said, Ethan, you look at Palm Beach, right? You see these mansions. You see all these things. And it's as if all of these people have entered the promised land. They have so much, right? They have everything they could ever need. Their planes, their different homes. She said, I'm surrounded by it. She said, but let me tell you the truth, that these people are the most miserable people you've ever met in your life. She said, you think they've entered their promised land, but they're missing it. And if I told you who this woman was, you would recognize her last name. She has a lot of money. She lives on Palm Beach. She has different homes and these different things. And she said, Ethan, I've missed it. But God is beginning to shift my perspective. She said, there are now two prayers that I pray every single day. The first one is this. She says, God, don't give me what I can't handle until I can handle it. Don't give me what I can't handle until I can handle it. She said, God, don't give me more success. Don't give me more cars. Don't give me more homes. Don't give me more. Don't give me more until I can handle it. She said, because of this next prayer, she said, I'd rather be in the valley with the heart of the Father then have everything and deny him. She said, I'd rather be in the valley but have God than deny him and have everything. So there I am, I'm sitting there, I'm talking with her, and, and her marriage is struggling, her kids are struggling. And I'm telling her all the things that I was doing. I was she asked me how I was. I hadn't seen her in a while, and I, I rattle off all the things that I was doing. She stopped me. She stopped me, and she said, Ethan, I feel like God wants me to tell you something. She said, God is concerned less with what you're doing and more about who you're becoming. See, today, this message isn't just for you. It's for me. This message is for me. God, don't give me the microphone. Don't give me the stage if I can't handle it. Don't give me more if I can't handle it because I'd rather be in the valley with you than have everything but deny you. See, we miss it. God isn't concerned about what we're doing. He's concerned about who we are becoming. He cares about you. And so what does he begin to do? He wants us to shift our perspective 
He wants us to change our positioning. He's inviting us just like the moon. When we're in the right position, we can't help but shine. He's inviting us every day to come close to him, to spend time with him, to enjoy who he is, to position ourselves close to him. He's, he's telling us he wants to put some restrictions on in our life, right? He wants to put some restrictions on in our life so that we can heal, so that we can experience who he is. And then thirdly, he wants to shift our perspective to see that just because, just because the people around us have it all doesn't mean they have everything. God is the promised land. It's not about the destination, right? It's about the journey. It's the fact that God cares so much about you and for me. I remember as a kid, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, landlocked, you know. I love living here, but we grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, and as a kid, we have one week out of the entire year where we got to go to Destin, Florida. A friend of ours had a condo there. This was our big family summer vacation, and they would let us go and stay there for an entire week. And so I'd get with my dad the night before the trip, and we'd pack our belongings, and I loved packing the van, get all Tetris on, and I'd place everything, right? I'd get it all in there. I'd have my skim board, and I'd fit it in there, and my dad'd be like, I don't know that we can fit that. And I'm like, trust me, I got it, you know? And so we had the pool floats and the noodles and all these different things, and I'd begin to pack all this different stuff, and we'd pack the car, and then we'd, we'd get up super early in the morning, and we'd take off. We take off, right? And it's like a nine-hour trip. And we're like two hours into it and ask the question that we all ask on road trips. Are we, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I'm like, are we there yet? I hated his response. He said, no, Ethan, but we're getting closer every second. I'm like, that does me no good. Like, I get that. That's not the answer that I wanted to hear. We're in our 1990-something Chevy Astro van, and we're packed in there, and I've got my two sisters, whom I, I love now, but um, <laughs> at the time, not so much, right? Because I'm a kid, and they're annoying, and, you know. So we're all packed in there in the van, and I'm asking, are we there yet? And my dad can begin to see my frustrations, and he begin to tell me, Ethan, hang in there. Hang in there. I know where we're going. I know where I'm leading you. It's going to be amazing. Just hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. See, God cares so much about you and me. He sees the destination. He sees where you're leading you and me, and he's inviting us to just hang in there. I've got you. I care for you. I see what you're doing, and I'm concerned about what you're doing, but I'm more concerned about who you are becoming. God cares about you. And so we began to take off when we began to drive. And my dad said, hang in there. And eventually we got to where we wanted to go. But along the way, I started to question. I started to say, if only I could go back, you know. I started to get doubtful of him. I started to concern that maybe I should be back home where around the comfort of my house with my friends and my people, I didn't have to experience this hardship with my two siblings packed in this van, right? But he continued to say, just hang in there. I've got you. 
We're going to somewhere good, and that's the truth today. God sees not just what you're doing. He sees what you've done. He's concerned about you. He sees all the mistakes that you've made, but the beauty is through the wandering, he's with you. Through your mistakes, he is with you, and he's saying, hang in there. I've got you. I know where I'm leading you to. I care for you. I love you. I want you to know all of me. And so this morning, I want to invite us to all stand to our feet right now. We have a God who cares and loves each and every one of us. He cares about you. And his invitation this morning is to position ourselves near him, is to restrict ourselves from the things that hurt us, and is to shift our perspective. That you have a God who loves you. And the opportunity we have this morning is to be still and to let him love us. We're going to sing this song together, Be Still and Let You Love Me. Come on, let's join together.